How many times do we feel like that we are drowning, that we are overtaken by the stresses and the burdens and the responsibilities of this life? I think we have to acknowledge that even as believers, uh, being overwhelmed is a state that we often find ourselves in. But the encouragement to us today is that Psalm 61 provides the remedy for an overwhelmed heart. The remedy for a burdened and overwhelmed heart is provided for us in the Word of God. But before we consider that remedy, I think it's important for us to go back to the beginning and to think for a brief moment about the first sin that was committed in the garden in Eden. Because a notable aspect of that first sin in the garden is that when Adam and Eve fell, they turned their attention from the Lord, from each other, from their responsibility to subdue the earth and rule over it. They turned their attention from all of those things to themselves. Their focus turned inward. They became inwardly focused. And if you read Genesis 3, 6, when when Eve gave in to the serpent's temptation, you can hear that inward focus as, as it's related to us, what she saw and what she thought. You see, what the serpent effectively did was to get them to focus upon themselves. To look inward and to think about what their desires were and what they thought that they needed in that moment. The serpent essentially said, don't listen to the Lord and his word. Listen to your own heart and to your own desires. Look inward for answers. And it's not hard to see how that sin lives on in us. There's a reason that the world's mantra, follow your heart, is so popular because it resonates with our sinful hearts. And it's not hard to see how we fall victim to that same temptation very often. How often we turn to ourselves for answers. We give in to that natural inclination of our hearts. Now, you may be wondering, why, why are we going here as we prepare to think about Psalm 61? Well, what, what I want you to grasp from the outset that I, I think is critical for our discussion of Psalm 61 is that this temptation to turn inward to turn inward for answers, that desire is intensified, it's magnified in times of trial, in times of trouble. When we are overwhelmed in heart, that temptation to turn inward becomes even greater. As you like our first parents, our response to hard times can be to turn inward and to believe the lie behind that first sin. 
The lie behind the first sin was, well, God doesn't really want what is best for me. Or God doesn't know what is best for me. His word has nothing to say to me. And therefore, I'll turn inward and look to my own heart. And I think we all know that that's a lie and all too often we follow that path and we turn inward and then we find ourselves in a downward spiral of despair and hopelessness. But the question is, how do we go from that inward focus, how do we resist that temptation to turn inward when we are overwhelmed and hurting and broken, how do we get out of that downward spiral and move to a firm trust in the Lord and a proper outward focus on Christ and his people? This is where Psalm 61 is immensely practical for us. One of the striking features of this psalm is that David begins in despair. He begins with this inward focus, but then he ends with praise and a note of assurance. I think I have to sneeze. (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) Sorry about that. You'll, You'll notice... How he begins with, on this note of despair, but he ends with worship and a commitment to to keep his vows to the Lord. He moved from that inward focus on himself and his problems and his feelings to an outward focus on the Lord and the Lord's people. In this short psalm, we see a transformation in the disposition of David. And David's prayer in this psalm and the Lord's answer is instructive to us. Because what we're going to see is that from beginning to end, this psalm echoes with the mercies of Jesus Christ. The titles, the the terms, the, the imagery, the promises, all of them point us directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about David's starting point here. To to truly appreciate the transformation in his outlook, we need to appreciate the the low point from which he began. Uh, Look at the first two verses where uh, we see him start low. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. And I mentioned already, I think a better translation of the word faint is the word uh, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, the the word kind of has this this meaning of being covered over by burdens. What we would say as overwhelmed. And this is a position with which we are all familiar with. Whether we're feeling anxious, depressed, despairing under the weight of burdens, 
feeling uncertainty, whatever it may be. This expresses that state that we often find ourselves in, overwhelmed in heart. And this state of having an overwhelmed heart is seen most clearly in Psalm 102, which is a psalm that describes Christ's sufferings. In that psalm, it is a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed. And what that means, friends, is that this state of having an overwhelmed heart was a state with which our Savior was well acquainted. That's why I read from Matthew 26 when Jesus said he was overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. We are pointed to Christ. We are reminded of the one who was made like us in every respect, but without sin. The one who knows intimately our struggles and our pain, who knows what it is to be overwhelmed in heart, and yet one who is able to help. Now, when we are in a state like this, we we all know we need to flee to Christ. We know that. But the harder question is, what does that look like? How, How do I do that when I am overwhelmed in heart? Well, this psalm gives us three tangible things that instruct us when we are overwhelmed in heart. What do we do when our focus has has turned inward and we find ourselves in this downward spiral of despair? Well, these are the things the Lord gives us to help us. And the first thing that we are to do is we are to pray to be led to our rock. Pray to be led To your rock. Look at the second half of verse 2. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David starts with a simple prayer. And here we learn that we may be too overwhelmed to do a lot of things. But we are never too overwhelmed to pray. You'll notice his prayer is not long. It's not eloquent. And yet it is powerful and it is effective. And this is exactly what James calls us to do in times of trial. In James 5.13 he says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. And I think in reformed circles, we need to be reminded of this. Your prayer does not have to be eloquent. You don't have to even know what to pray. You simply have to cry out to God. And you'll notice David's simple prayer 
is to be led to the rock that is higher than he is. And that term rock is a well-established biblical term for the Lord Jesus Christ. We could look at many examples, but just, just one comes from 1 Corinthians 10.4. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He is the rock. And there's two significant features about this rock that are highlighted. He is higher than we are, and we must be led to him. He's higher than we are, and we have to be led to him. Christ is exalted high above us. You see, when we are overwhelmed in heart, we need a man who can sympathize with us, a man who understands this state of an overwhelmed heart, but we need someone who is more than a man that he might help us. And Christ meets that need as the God-man. He is the rock, solid, immovable, powerful, faithful, ready to help in our time of need. But you'll notice also that we must be led to him. And I think there's a beautiful nugget of comfort here where the, the Bible is honest, the, the Psalms are honest about our, our struggle in faith in this fallen world. And what this is conveying to us is at times we are brought so low, we are so overwhelmed that we simply can't climb to the rock that is higher than we are without the Lord's help. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. God's power and promise are a rock that is higher than we are. This rock is Christ. On the divine mercy as on a rock, David desired to rest his soul. But listen to what Henry says. But he was like a shipwrecked sailor exposed to the billows at the bottom of a rock too high for him to climb without help. David found that he could not be fixed upon the rock of salvation unless the Lord placed him upon it. As there is safety in him and none in ourselves, let us pray to be led to and fixed upon Christ a rock. Friends, our prayer does not have to be eloquent. But we can pray and ask, Lord, you need to lead me to Christ. In my sinfulness, in my state of an overwhelmed heart, I can't even climb to him Lord, will you lead me to them? 
And we can be confident that the Lord will answer because that's really what we see happen in this psalm. We see the Lord, as this psalm goes on, answering this simple prayer. We begin to see it in the next verses, verses 3 and 4, where the Lord begins to turn David's focus outward to the Lord, his rock. Because we secondly see here the remedy for an overwhelmed heart is to remember God's past faithfulness. Remember his past faithfulness. Look at verses 3 and 4, and um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a King James only guy, but I think the new King James here captures uh, the nuances of the Hebrew much better than the ESV. So uh, I'm going to read from that. He says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your tabernacle forever. I will take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Notice the increasing confidence. Notice a man being led to Christ. His prayer is being answered. He he looks to the past. He remembers God's faithfulness to him in the past, and that produces for him a confidence in the present and a resolve to seek the Lord. Uh, I read from the New King James because it reflects uh, the statements where it's, David is, is essentially saying to the Lord, you have, therefore I will. And the richness of these verses is really found in the strength of their their metaphors. There's four metaphors here that picture to us the grace and the mercy, the protection and strength of the Lord. And they each get stronger and more more intimate. And I'll comment more on this in a moment, but the first two are pictures of warfare. And the last two are pictures of worship. Warfare and worship. And I don't think that's just coincidental. You'll notice first, David calls God his refuge. That is a a favorite term of David for the Lord. His refuge. It envisions a cave, a natural form of protection. If you... You remember when David was on the run from Saul, how did the Lord provide protection? In caves, he provided a refuge. And David was remembering the Lord's protection of him in those caves. Then he says, you have been my strong tower. Here is is something more purposely built for protection, something high, something that provides uh, perspective. And then come the more intimate metaphors having to do with worship. Again, listen to the New King James. I will dwell in your tabernacle forever. I will take refuge under the shelter of your wings. David's envisioning the tabernacle. 
the place of God's special presence, his special care for his people, the place of worship. He talks about finding shelter under his wings. Now, if you think about the tabernacle or the temple, and and kids, you can even think about this. You think about the tabernacle or the temple, where would you find wings? Where would you find wings in the tabernacle? You would find them in the most holy place on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the mercy seat. To be under his wings is to be firmly on the mercy seat of the Lord. Covered in the blood of Christ under his protective care. And in Romans 3.25, speaking of Jesus, Paul makes an interesting Uh, reference or allusion back to the mercy seat when he says whom God set forth as a propitiation and the Greek word there was the word used in the Greek Old Testament to translate mercy seat whom God set forth as a propitiation the mercy seat by his blood And so we can read these words with, in light of their fulfillment and we can confidently say, I will dwell in Christ, the greater and more perfect tabernacle. I will take shelter in his blood, take refuge in his cross. And when we are overwhelmed in heart, we should we should remember specific instances of God's past faithfulness to us in our lives. But we must never forget the ultimate act of God's past faithfulness that has been set before us in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our refuge. That is our strong tower in time of need. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where our protection is to be found. That is where we find shelter and strength when we are in a state of an overwhelmed heart. I'll think for a moment about these metaphors and how they They move from these images of warfare to worship. I don't think that's any coincidence. I think that sort of reflects the the rhythm and flow of our life. We go out and for six days we, we live our lives and very often it feels like warfare. We're battered around, we're we're thrown off kilter, we're disoriented, we're overwhelmed. But then we come off the battlefield on the Lord's Day and we worship. And we find rest and we're strengthened. We come to the place where we are most assured. 
of God's faithfulness to us, where the cross of Jesus Christ is set before us week by week by week. This is where we are called to remembrance of that ultimate act of his past faithfulness to us, his cross. And so we need to pray to be led to our rock. We need to remember his past faithfulness to us, that ultimate act of past faithfulness in the cross. But then finally, in our state of an overwhelmed heart, you need to remember your covenant heritage. You need to remember your covenant heritage. And again, I want you to notice the increasing confidence that we hear from David. And it's worth noting that his circumstances haven't changed. But he's finding confidence in the fact that the Lord has heard his prayers. And this reminds us, friends, our circumstances don't have to change to no relief from an overwhelmed heart. Our circumstances don't have to change to know the peace and the nearness of Christ in the midst of trial. I want you to notice how David looks to his covenant heritage. And in his statements here, we see the corporate nature of the covenant, and we see more images of of corporate worship. Verse 5, he says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we are to remember that part of our heritage in Christ is that we are we're part of the household of God. We're not in this battle alone. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's two aspects of this, and it can be comforting, but also challenging to us. It can comfort us knowing that we're not alone. The Lord made us to function in the body. We have others around us to encourage us, to to help us, to pray for us. But it also challenges us because it reminds us that we have a responsibility to others. And if we persist in that that inward focus that we talked about at the beginning, if we persist there, we will not be able to fulfill our duties to our brothers and sisters. Our duty to encourage them, to love them, to consider them better than ourselves. But you'll notice again how his prayer is being answered. His focus is turning outward it, it turns outward to others who are in this same covenant, but it, it turns to something much greater. You see, your covenant heritage is something much greater than fellowship with other Christians. This word, heritage, and I, I know, I think this is challenging for us. We don't 
We don't talk much like this in our culture, but this Hebrew word for heritage is a word that frequently appears alongside the covenant promises of God in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word referred to a possession obtained as a gift upon the death of someone. And it seems to be this idea that the writer to the Hebrews expounds upon in chapter 9. Friends, there are many blessings in the covenant of grace, but what is the ultimate thing that is ours in this covenant? I almost, I almost put one of my kids on the spot, but I'm not going to do that because the, the children's catechism asks the simple question, what is a covenant? And the simple answer is a covenant is a relationship. It's a relationship. And friends, that means the ultimate blessing, the ultimate gift provided to us in the gospel is not a something, but it is a someone. And I would argue this is reflected in David's confident prayer in verses 6 to 7. And again, I'll read from the New King James. It reflects more that the confidence of the prayer when David says, You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. We'll prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. careful examination of those words shows that David is not praying for himself. He's not praying for any human king. Here is a confident prayer for an eternal king. Here's the climax. Here's the answer to his prayer. David began by asking, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. And here he is embracing that very rock. The king who is higher than he is. Friends, our heritage, our inheritance, our possession in the gospel is an eternal king who meets our every need who provides us with every good thing, an eternal king who conquered sin and death and hell for us, an eternal king who rendered for us a perfect obedience, an eternal king who died on the cross, taking upon himself the covenant curse that should have been ours. And he now reigns on our behalf. Friends, our covenant heritage is an exalted, eternal, powerful king who knows what it is to be overwhelmed in heart. A king who in the days of his flesh was said to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
A king who in the days of his flesh said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And this king is also a priest who intercedes for you. And a prophet who will speak to you in your time of need. David is led to the rock, Jesus, the eternal king, and he finds encouragement, he finds hope, and he finds resolve. Look how the psalm ends. It's it's a resolve to worship and to perform his vows or to serve. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Friends, this is a path that we don't just walk once, but we will walk many times when we find ourselves overwhelmed in heart. But the encouragement here is this is a a divine remedy for our overwhelmed hearts. And so are you overwhelmed today? My pastoral encouragement to you is if you're not, you will be soon. (laughs) But when we find ourselves overwhelmed, pray to be led to Christ. Believe that he will hear your prayer. Look to his past mercies and his grace to you. And then worship him. Have a commitment to his means of grace. Look to the king who is higher than you are. He is yours. He is your covenant heritage. Embrace him and then serve him by by keeping your vows to him and and serving others. See, it is prayer and worship that build our assurance and our joy when our hearts are overwhelmed. Our God uses this day and he uses these means of grace to relieve our heavy hearts. In and through those means we are led to Christ, the rock that is higher than we are. We are reminded of his faithfulness to us and called to trust in him and worship him. To look to our king who works all things for the good of his people. Are you overwhelmed in heart today? Come to the one who says to you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in me you will find rest for your weary souls. Amen. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we confess that we so often find ourselves overwhelmed in heart and unlike our Savior, who responded sinlessly to that state, we all too often respond sinfully. Lord, would you minister to us in our overwhelmed feeling, in our burdened feeling, 
and lead us to the rock that is higher than we are. Lord, we pray that you would turn our focus outward to him and, Lord, find great joy in the fact that we have the ultimate gift as our covenant heritage, the Lord Jesus himself. Help us to embrace him. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, you might enable us to then serve others, to keep our vows, to serve your people. And in all these things, we pray that Jesus would be glorified. We pray in his great name. Amen.